Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Turn to the person next to you and say, church is better because you're here. Now turn to the person you didn't say it to and explain why you didn't choose them. Awkward. I didn't tell you which way to turn. You chose that. I'm excited. And as Ken said, I, I want to preach tonight about something called when God gives you leaders. Because to me, Friday night isn't actually about the three couples that are being released into eldership. It's not about any of that. It's about what God is doing with us as a people. And I want to speak when God gives us leaders, because even if I say that, some of you are already like pulling back and closing up. I don't want more leaders. Sounds like more traffic cops. It's like the thing we don't want. And yet I want to present tonight from the start to the end that when God gives leaders to communities and to people and to individuals, there's a blessing to that story. And everywhere through his word and through his gospel and the big meta-narrative of the gospel from Genesis to Revelation, everywhere God does something spectacular. If you go and look just before that, you'll see God release leaders. 95% of the time, I promise you. There is this release of men and women, the unexpected sometimes, those that no one thought would be in that space, that God seems to release for ministry. It's because God is going after more of His advancing of His kingdom, more land, more glory. And to do that, He seems to release men and women into big stories for His kingdom. So I want to present to you that Friday night is not just a cool for those really involved in the church. I want to suggest that it's for all of us. It's a celebration. Friday night's about us. Can you say Friday is about me? It's about you and me and the kingdom of God and what he's doing. Because wherever you look in the Bible, God used men and women to advance his stories. He, he takes this guy, Moses. How's this description of Moses? Numbers 12 verse 3. Now the man Moses was very meek. I thought if they stopped there, that sounds fair. It's quite a rough statement, but it's okay. It's just very meek. Carries on. More than all people who were on the face of the earth. It's like quite a definitive statement about who Big Mo was. And yet God chose that guy to lead God's people to challenge Pharaoh, to lead people out of slavery and chains and into freedom. He chose that guy. Please stop saying God doesn't want to use you. Please stop saying God couldn't do anything with you. He chose the meekest man on the earth. What about David? Well, he chooses this guy who doesn't even be chosen by his dad to slay a giant and then become one of the greatest leaders of his people ever. He seems wherever he goes and he leads his people into freedom. Jesus says, I want the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. What am I going to do? I'm going to get fishermen and tax collectors and zealots. I'm going to hang out with them for three years teenagers. I'm going to invest my life in them for three years. I'm going to make them leaders so they can reach the ends of the earth. So the kingdom of God can advance. Wherever you see, it's never about the individuals, about what God is doing. You see, Paul seems to take that same model and he invests himself into men and women. He starts investing himself into people. And one of these people is named Timmy. Timothy. Timothy. Little Timmy's a bit timid because he keeps saying, Timmy, you've got to get courage. You've got to get courage to preach the gospel. Get courage for the story. Little Timmy's got a tummy problem. He says, so Timmy, for your tummy, you need a little glass of wine a day to help your tummy, Timmy. 
And little Timmy was the guy who was raised by his mom and his grandmom. It's kind of not the image you have of this warrior leader kind of going to lead God's people. No, but God knew the grace gift he'd placed upon that guy's life at a time for a season so the kingdom of God could advance. And so I'm presenting to you that as we lay hands on and pray and release these incredible couples and into more of what God has for them, it's not about them, it's about us. It's about what He wants to do, His grace in the, our story and leading us into it. But even as I mentioned to you, when God gives you leaders, some of you are like, oh, I don't know if I want that. Because your past experiences, and actually it's often people who've been in church a long time, have negative past experiences, have some painful experiences. There's different kinds of leaders. There's the untouchable leader. You could never get close to in years. They were like behind a pulpit, behind a wall, behind a green room. I don't know what that story is. Maybe there was the man of God reality in your context and culture. Let me just be very brutally honest about the man of God syndrome. And you've heard me speak about it before. That there is underpinning of honor that's amazing in the concept of celebrating a man that God has anointed for a story and it's wonderful, but I'm telling you when it's overplayed, it becomes a problem and I would dare say demonic to a point because we are placing a man in a place and a pulpit he should never have. There is the body of Christ and there's the head called Jesus. And the minute we place a man or a woman because of an anointing given by who? Jesus in a place outside of the body, they're exposed. They're exposed, not you, they're exposed. The minute any man or woman, because of a grace gift upon their life, is outside of what's called the body of Christ, they're exposed. And our job is to make sure that we are fighting for health and freedom and life. Maybe you've experienced the elusive leader, maybe you've experienced, and I hate saying it, but the abusive leader in church, out of church, in the world, in the marketplace, with one of your leaders in the workspace. So leadership to you is this thing that makes you pull back. My life story not my church story, my life story has been littered with moments where leaders stepped in that fundamentally shaped and formed my life, the decisions I made. I'm grateful that I haven't been given too many reasons as a young man to close up and clamp up when leadership comes into our world. So when leaders stepped in at different times of my life, God was able to fashion and form. The first one when I was 16 years old, I got saved when I was 14, and there was a, an SCA leader, Student Christian Association. It was a very big meeting when Warcry was on, a very small meeting when Warcry wasn't on. Some of you had SEOs. And, um, and, and there was a guy who led our SEA. His name was Bruce Dixon. He was a redhead. God seems to use redheads in my life. And um, we became mates. He was at school. He led our SEA. Then he left school and was still part of our church. And we went on a men's camp once. And, and I was embodied in a very small little 16-year-old body that learned how to manage his small man syndrome by turning everything into a joke. That was my skill. I thought if I could turn everything into a joke, I wouldn't become the joke. Until one day, Bruce, in his loving, kind way, spoke to me. He said, Mark, always a joker, always a joke. God's got things for you to do in your life, and if you keep making everything a joke, you'll be the joke. And I realized in that moment that my attempts to take attention on myself and to put attention on others meant that God couldn't get the glory he wanted from my story. So at a 16 years old, I started going on a journey where God needed to fashion my mouth. Why? Because a leader stepped into my world. And then a little bit later on, there are these other leaders, a man named Cedric Van Dane, who was the youth leader that I was a part of. And to be brutally honest, we didn't get on at all. 
We saw the world very differently. But I'm so grateful for this leader as he would challenge us. He would speak into situations. He would call young people at, at a time of their life of confusion and chaos. He would call them to all-night prayer meetings. Who spent their youth having all-night prayer meetings? Sometimes. Not the whole holiday, please. But I'm grateful for that man. Then there was a man named um, Derek Andrews. Who when I started dating this amazing girl, Candace, who is now my wife, but at 21 years old, we started dating. And so I thought the right and honorable thing to do is go speak to her life group leader. Because she was a new believer, new in the story, full of the Holy Ghost, loving her thing and what God was doing. But I just wanted to do the right thing. So I went to her life group leader and I said, hi, I'm Mark. He said, no, I know. And, and, and they said, I'm just letting you know that um, Candace and I are dating. I thought it would be the right thing to do. I wasn't asking him permission. He said, that's fine. And then he just stopped. And he stood, put his finger in my chest. He says, God's called you to more. He started prophesying into my life. He started speaking that God had called me to love his people, lead his people. I'd never preached a sermon. I'd never led a life group. I'd never done anything for God. He started declaring things into my life that shattered or, or shook something deep inside of me. To the point that two months later, I was leading a life group. And I led it for 12 years. Because a man put his eyes upon what God was seeing in my life, began to speak and encourage me. Not just a man, a leader. A leader who I realized afterwards had felt for a long time to speak in my life, was waiting God to speak. And then there was another man named Rick Thompson in my life who you might have heard before me speak about. His, he was my first life group leader. And Rick used to keep food aside because he knew I'd be coming from rugby. He'd also keep a spare chair in the corner of the room because he knew I'd be smelling. And um, he would feed me. He would serve me. He, he would take us on holidays when I couldn't pay because my parents got liquidated. He would love me. He, he cared for me like a younger brother. But he was my leader. And then there was the time when my parents got liquidated and I got a job at RJ's just to survive. And I didn't know if I'd make any money at RJ's, but I knew there was a free burger in the deal. So it was a good thing. And you know, I don't know if you've waited, but when you start out, you get the worst section in the restaurants. Like in the dark, the dirty tables, that's your section. Go work that hard tonight, but no one's here. Until Rick Thompson walked in. And sat in the dirty dark section because I was working there and bought a 35 Rand burger in 1996. That was a, what you paid for a burger. I know some of you think it's impossible. It's true. And left the 50 Rand tip. And when you're a 19 year old man with not much going right in your world, and someone goes out of their way to eat a meal they probably didn't need so they could leave you a gift you needed, you realize that person loves you. But that's not the end of the story. See, he showed me love in a different way a couple years later. When I was studying till Hopper's 910 every night, I was um, doing postgrad studies. And so the only time I could see my girlfriend was after that time. It's not a good idea, by the way. And at one o'clock in the morning, my cell phone rang. Nokia 9110. <laughs> and, um, and it was Rick Thompson. And so I answered. I said, how's it, Rick? He said, where are you? And in that split second, I thought of the thousand answers I wanted to give him. None of them included at Candace's house. But then I remembered my car's on Manning Road. It's basically like parking on the R27. Everyone goes past it. So I said, I'm at Candace's house. And then he said something that felt like someone was fighting for me. See, if, I, if it hadn't been this journey and I didn't know the man, I didn't understand. He just said to me, get in your car and go home. And I said, okay. 
and I got in my car and I went home. I'll never know what that conversation and that intervention did for my life. I want to present a scripture to you because there are many, so many other stories in my life, but I want to speak about the intervention of someone in our lives. And God seems to all the time use leaders in lives and stories when we will open up our lives to them. And 1 Kings 1, is this is the context. David is dying. The king is dying and his sons start jostling. Young men start jostling for the leadership role. They think, well, dad's dying. And so obviously some of them mourn, but Adonijah, this guy, he doesn't mourn. He starts thinking, I've got to position myself to take over from dad. The family business looks good right now. And so he starts jostling. He starts positioning himself. He's doing the wrong things. And the end of the game is it becomes quite embarrassing for Adonijah as his brother becomes king. As he ends up, because of his journey and his jostling, he positioned himself in such a way that it became awkward for him. So he has to ask his brother, can he even just stay in the land? Can he have a wife? He's asking his brother. And this is how it goes. Now Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, put himself forward and said, I will be king. Have you ever done that? I've done it. I think I deserve that job. I think I should get that promotion. I think I deserve that girl. I think I'll be king. So he got chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. He invests resources. He takes others into the story. He pulls them into his embarrassing story. Well, I was one of Adonijah's 50. It's awkward. Brackets. His father had never rebuked him by asking, why do you behave as you do? He was also very handsome and was born next to Absalom. I love the way the Bible just lays it out. He's handsome and he's in line for some authority anyway. But the Bible just puts in brackets. His father, this great king, David, never rebuked him by asking, why do you do what you do? What if someone asked you that tonight? Why do you do what you do? Why do you treat your wife the way you do? Why do you speak the way you do? Why do you speak about yourself the way you do? Why do you make promises and not keep them? What if someone loved you enough? See, the challenge of this story is there's something far worse than an interfering father. The Bible suggests something far worse is a non-interfering father. There's something far worse than an interfering friend who asks you, why do you do what you do? Is a non-interfering friend who doesn't care, you enough, care for you enough to ask you the question you need to be asked. It's a challenge. And I want to present that leadership, and I, I'm speaking about it because I'm trying to present that this Friday night, what God is doing with us, is actually not about these guys. It's about what God is doing in the story. I want to present that leadership is biblical. It's not an idea of the world. It's not like, hey, we need men to rise ahead and guys and women are going to rise. It's not about, it's an idea of God. God seems to present leadership throughout the story, and He keeps presenting it. Not is it just good, but it's good for us. He, and Paul says to Timothy, if someone desires to be an overseer, it's a noble task. It's a good thing to desire. It's both prescribed in Scripture, meaning it, it needs to be done. Raise up and release leaders is a constant theme and has to be a constant motif in the Word. But it's also described as how they do it, what it looks like, and what it looks like to be invested in and to have someone invest yourself. So it's biblical. I would tell you that it's beyond biblical. It's also theological. It's not done in a vacuum. 
In 1 Timothy 3, you see all these statements about what a leader looks like and presents. And we're going to read it a little later. We're going to show you that there's this description of what the life and the doctrine of leadership looks like. But it's also contextual, meaning that in this context, God would raise up men and women for times such as this, for seasons such as this. Why? To lead his kingdom and, and to see the kingdom of God advance and to lead his people into more. Friday night's not about Tyler and Tyler getting a new fancy role. Not at all. We hardly ever speak about the title elder. Who calls a young man elder? I was an elder at 27 years old. It's weird. It's whack. It's a weird word. Someone got it wrong. But all I know is it's in the Bible. And when we're building, I just know it goes well with us when we build according to the Bible. So we have an eldership team. If you want to know what our leadership looks like, we have an eldership team. We don't talk about it a lot. There's no fancy shares in the front row. There's no fancy parking lots. There are no privileges beyond maybe the odd coffee. I sneak them because the Oaks are at church forever. I'm trying to keep them awake. They have to listen to me twice in the morning. I feel terrible about it. But we have an eldership team, and their primary role and responsibility in church as dictated by scriptures to guide, govern, and guard the forward movement of the church, the mission of God through this local church called Life Changes. To guide it theologically, spiritually, and fight for what God has got, to, to guard it in prayer, in, 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 to guard it in real ways, to, to guard the people of God. You, you never know sometimes. What's going on behind the scenes that are battles and fights that we're fighting for truth. We're fighting for people's lives, sometimes more than they are willing to fight themselves. Not just the eldership, but all leaders in the life of this church. And to govern it. We all want the Prince of Peace, but not many want the government that rests on his shoulders to come upon our lives. And the Bible said, if you want the peace, you've got to take the government with it. There is a government reality in church that is helpful for the forward moon of church. Now, how that works, how that's presented, and how we work that out, we get to choose much of it. So we don't rock fancy chairs and seats. Why? Because it's not helpful for us, for the kingdom of God advance. That's why you don't call me Pastor Mark. Because it somehow places me outside of the body and it's whack it's not good for anyone we want to move forward we just play different roles in that story and we need people pioneering business we need people partnering and and celebrating and, and pioneering in all spheres of life my role in the body is to do this your role is different for now and maybe God flips those one day who knows that would be amazing and secondly we have a broad team of leaders called deacons and called leaders and called a whole bunch of things who are leading and pioneering and they're pastors in the life of the church. So that's why we use that word more, pastors, because it's a much broader team. And when you come and someone comes and says, they want to be counseled or careful, generally what they say when they come to church, they want the guy with the mic in the front. And I will tell you myself, I'm not the best counselor in the life of the church by far. There are better marriage counselors. There are better financial counselors who can help where there's chaos in your finances. We have a broad team of people. Why? Because God built it that way. He spread the gifts out. He said, I'm not going to give one man a generation the gift. I'm going to pour it out upon my people. Why? So I want to see my kingdom advance. And there are all these dynamics. And I want to read 1 Timothy 3, which is qualifications for overseers and deacons. Why? Because this is what God's doing with us. And even, we don't speak leadership a lot. I want to tell you as well, if you, if you never got saved or were in church in the 90s, you won't know what it was like. 
I went to a sexuality course. You know what it was called? Leadership training. I went to a hermeneutics course on how to read the Bible and understand the Bible. You know what it was called? Leadership training. I went to marriage training. It was called leadership training because in the 90s, everything was about leadership. And then there's been this big kick against in our anti-authoritarian world, in our, in our postmodern dynamic. We kick right against, we push right away from leadership. But I leave, believe God is restoring something of that. And it's restoring not just something of it, but something of that is good for us. What I'm wanting to share with you tonight is if you would open up your life to leadership, not eldership, leadership. It will be good for you. It will be a blessing to you, not a burden. That so many receive it as. If you open up your heart and life to people in your soul, I promise you there is a blessing in it for you. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And now he must do so in a manner worthy of respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He may also have a good, he must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Sounds like fun. And so when we come to the church and I say, hey guys, we, we bring a young couple called Tyler and Kate Lynn onto eldership. And I say, I really love your feedback. If you have concerns or you have comments, please contact me. Say, I'm saying, please look at the scriptures and look at what you know at their lives. And if there are areas that you need to speak to me, I'll bring it, then please bring it. It's not like some church rhetoric, ah, please say it, but I actually don't want to hear from you. We actually do. Should there be a real cause for concern? Why? Because it affects the forward movement of the church and the influence of God's kingdom in the city, and it's important. But this is a major thing. I read this list, and I looked down at Bunty this morning. He was like, a high ball. And we've read it together. <laughs> but it's the real stuff. I mean, it says above reproach, where there's this lifestyle free of patterns of sin and chaos. Not perfect. Please don't read perfect there. Not the same as Jesus, a lot like Jesus on a journey, become more like Jesus, but not Jesus. Just a man or a woman stepping up into more of what God has for them. Husband of one wife. That's quite easy to understand and know what that means. Temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine, not quick-tempered, uncontentious, free from the love of money, an ability to manage their own household. These are what it looked like to be someone who can lead in God's house. You know what you're not seeing there? Incredibly gifted, able to interpret dreams for days, sing songs of heaven. It's not about gifting, it's about the character and the, the man or woman who's allowed themselves to go on this journey. And as we release elders of these guys in the story, upon their lives there's this marker and there are these qualifications in their family that are real and big. And I've told you what I love about this guy's life, he can't hide. He's a son of this house. He stayed in some of your homes. He came here a teenager. If you only knew me as a teenager. <laughs> and through the processes, through the time, through the investment of some of your stories into their lives, God has fashioned and formed someone to lead at this time. 
within our church. There's no hiding, and I love it. We're not about, well, we need good leaders. Let's go shop around, put something on Gumtree. Looking for a leader in a church. These are the qualifications. Husband of one wife. Temperate. No, we're not doing that. God would raise and release in this time. Why? So the kingdom of God can keep advancing. So that you could be blessed by the gifts that he gives to the church. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us leadership is a gift. We love the gifts of worship and say, oh, stew, lovely, bunty, lovely. We love it when a preacher preaches and there's fire. Oh, but I don't know if I like the gift of leadership. No, it's good for you. It's good for me. It's the test me of my life. One of the greatest leaders in my life is also is Rory Dyer. A pastor, a, a businessman, a guy who's been in my life for years. I used to watch him. I used to watch him minister. Wouldn't take my eyes off him. I would watch. He's also the guy that's irritated me the most in this life. He's also the guy that challenged me the most in this life. He's also the guy who's frustrated me the most in this life. But he's one of my leaders for 25 years. And hopefully for the next 25 and beyond. But I want to tell you, when God gives us leaders, it's a gift. And if you receive leadership as a gift, it will be a blessing to you. If you receive leadership as a burden, it won't be a blessing to you. That's how it works. So how do we get the most out of leadership and how do we walk this out? I want to read from Hebrews 13 in the next few minutes. Hebrews 13, Hebrews is written to a church that's tired. A church that's fought battles. They don't really know where to go. So he presents this picture of faith and he reminds them of all the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11. And he calls them and then he's got Hebrews 13. And it's like this, I've got one chapter to say all I need to say. Boof, lead your families up. Boof, work hard. Boof, do this. And in the midst of all these boofs, he's like shotgunning. He just throws four little scriptures. He says, obey your leader, speak. He posts these four little scriptures about leadership. And I want to present that he's helping us engage with leadership. And I want to read these to you. As someone who's very aware, it's quite awkward for me to speak some of this. Because I art a leader in this house. I was the plug and play leader. Whoop, Durban. Oh, while he's gone, Mark's leading. Yay. Not everyone was yay. Because I'm very different to Wally. But this is what the Bible says. And it's going to help us if we were remembered of this, of how to engage with leaders in our lives. In verse 7, he's just shotgunning. He says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Remember them. It means continuously think about their story. I continuously think about Wally and the investment into this story and the life sacrificed to Pioneer and the fact that he was the first guy to have Tyler in his house living there. I remember my leaders, and there's consider. It means weigh up. Look at their lives and consider the outcome of their way of life. Consider their children. Consider how they make their decisions. When big opportunities come and doors open up, consider the processes they take to navigate their life. And then it's a challenge. It says imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. The first time I preached, I said, no, no. I phoned the guy at 11 o'clock night before. I said, I don't want to do this, Paul. Says why? I said, no, but the Bible says they must consider and imitate. Now you're putting me up and they're going to think I'm a leader and they're going to start imitating me. And you don't know everything that goes on in my He said, get over yourself and preach Jesus. Imitate their faith. And Wayne is leaving a career he's worked hard for for 20 years to get in a position high in his corporate. He's leaving that. Why? To serve in this church. To serve you and be a blessing to you and to love the families of this community and this city. But it's a faith and courageous move. Imitate their faith. 
Is there a faithful, sacrificial story in your story? Imitate their faith. And Rory would walk around and minister in the church. And he'd say, everyone close your eyes, please. You know what I did? I didn't. Because I knew there was something in that man's life. I loved the way he loved people through his ministry. And I wanted to learn it. So I watched for year after year. Never thinking I'd be a pastor one day with the privilege to do much of the same. And then he says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You want to receive leadership as a blessing in your life? Well, be here Friday night, but make a decision to be a blessing. It says, actually, obey your leaders. Obey and submit are not popular words in our world. You're not going to find a book selling on the bestseller list called Obey and Submit. That's not going to sell. <laughs> and, but they're Bible words. And I've learned that Bible words lead to life. And I've learned that when I follow the Bible and submit to His way and to the way of God in His word, there's life and freedom for me there. And so for me to not teach that, as imperfect as I know I am, I know it more than you. The Bible says obey and submit to your leaders. And it calls us to this story. It's anti, it's anti much of the culture of today, the culture that is anti-authoritarian, postmodern in all its ways. But why? Because it says actually because their job is to keep watch over your soul. It says to keep an account, to keep watch over your souls. That word keep watch, let me just find it comes from a Greek word, agrupnia, which literally means to abstain completely from sleep, pass sleepless nights, to be sleepless, to lie awake and to think about, to stay alert and to remain vigilant. You know what doesn't keep me up at night? This projector. Tyler's fancy lights on the wall. Whether the coffee is going to be hot or cold. Doesn't keep me up at night. Who keeps me up at night? Faces. Some that I've seen recently and some that I haven't. Some who like me and some who don't. Some who I've been able to give lots and lots of time to and some that I haven't. It keeps me up at night. It gets me up early in the morning, every Tuesday morning. It's a team of men who navigate and leave their families early to be here to pray for you. That's so why my heart's sad when my friend Rion van der Vesthuis moves to England, not just because my friends moved to England, but because a man I've fought for the people of God with. And when they had one car, he used to get on his bicycle in Malkbos and cycle in the middle of winter at quarter past five in the morning to be here by six in really horrendous looking tights so that he could pray for you. Because what kept him up at night was your face. And we don't always get to say it, and it's not a manipulation reality. I do this because I love people, and I do this because there's a king who loves people. He loves you. And he says, they'll have to give an account. I'm very aware of those words. One day I'll have to give an account. Your job in this journey, together, in relationship, in reality of relationship, to find leaders who will speak into your life, and there's an obedience and a submission to that, my job and leaders in your life is to stay up at night, restless nights, praying for your life and your story. Found out about Russell's life a little bit more tonight than I've known before. 
It'll keep me up at night this week and maybe get me up earlier. But I have to give an account for that. He continues with just a simple sentence in verse 18. He want leadership to be a blessing in your life. Pray for us. Oh, my leaders haven't SMSed me in three weeks. So definitely not praying for me. Well, you don't know that. You might not know that their babies had colic for a few months. They're starting a new business. They... No, but the Bible tells you, if you want leadership to be left, pray for your leaders. I pray for my leaders. I pray for Rory Dyer every single day. Every day. And on the way home from the recovery concert Friday night, I'm exhausted, but I spent 40 minutes talking to my friend Rory Dyer, telling about what God is doing in the lives of people who were previously addicts but now free. Why? Because we love the same thing and because he's invested me in a way that I would be a man who would love people who walk freedom journeys. And then lastly, in verse 24, he says, greet all your leaders and all the Lord's people. Let me start with the first one. Greet your leaders, which means there has to be a measure of relationship. And if it, if it hasn't, they haven't come chasing after you, would you push in? Would you find leaders, life group leaders and, 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 and area leaders and whatever, someone who can lead, whether they have a title or not, but someone who can lead in your space and teach you, lead with the word of God. Will you find them? Will you seek them out? But I want to emphasize the second part of that. Greet all your leaders and all the Lord's people, which means get in community, find an ability to navigate rather than just greet at the door. It's an ability to go beyond that, find out more, understand more so that we're in community, we fought for, and there's not this, well, there's a leader. What a load of rubbish. No, we're just people navigating life with different grace gifts on our life. And as we navigate it, the mess comes together in a way that looks like Jesus. A friend of mine, Chris Vinant, made up a word. He told us it's a word. It's not a word. Called chaotic. It's not a word. But it's a great word. And it presents this idea that in the midst of chaos, there's order. Much like the throne room of heaven, where there's chaos and cherubim and seraphim. Ah! I, don't know what's, I don't know what noise they make. But it's chaos. And, and elders are bowing down, bowing down. There's a dude with a face like a lion. There's another dude with a face like an ox. There's, I mean, it's awkward. There's all going. It looks like chaos. But you know why there's not chaos? Because there's a king on a throne named Jesus. And in the midst of the chaos, there's order and peace. That's what the church should be like. A little bit messy, a little bit noisy, young, old, but Jesus. And when we build according to his word, that's what we get. So my story and my testimony, if I was to tell one, I've just told you a few stories, but there's so many more. Leaders that have been a blessing to me. Oh, Mark, you're a leader. It's not about that. You don't know the 19 version of me, 19-year-old version. He was a handful. You don't know the 21-year-old version who fell in love with a girl and had emotions and let's just call it energy. (laughs) You don't know that guy. You don't know the guy that was angry with God because his parents lost everything. And it all just fell apart. You don't know that guy. But at each of those times, God used men and women who were leaders in my life to speak the truth of God. Not just wet my ears with what I wanted to hear. The truth and the word of God were prepared to challenge and leave their marks upon my life. Not so that their fingerprints could be on my life. So that the fingerprints of heaven could be upon my life. And as a leader in this house and someone who has the privilege of leading, I want to tell you, we don't want our fingerprints on your life. We'll never be heavy-handed pastors. I'd sooner leave the ministry than become a heavy-handed pastor having to shake God's people around because I don't think that's what's called, and I don't see it when I look at Jesus. 
I don't want my fingerprints all over people's lives. I want his. I want his fingerprints on your life and your story. I want his fingerprints to navigate our journey together. I want his fingerprints to get to where we can never get as leaders. But I'm telling you, part of the journey is we would open up our hearts to the men and women he places in our lives. For his glory, for his kingdom. Can we stand together? Oh, we love you. I know we say it and we really do love you. And uh, sometimes I wish I, I purposefully got an unlimited cell phone contract. Highly recommended. It's very cheap and good value. And wherever I go, I just phone. And I still feel like I don't get nearly enough to as nearly as many people as I'd love. No, Lena, I think about you so much. I saw you walking the other day on the beachfront with your dog. And I know this last year or two have been painful. Like, I actually, a pain I don't know if I've ever even come close to experiencing. And I drove past you and I considered stopping to say hello, but I actually just stopped and I started praying for you on the beachfront. I think it was Friday or Thursday because he wants his fingerprints on your life. He's committed to his fingerprints on your life. Can we close our eyes, please? This is not a cajoling submit to leadership. I'm just trying to show you something that the word presents to us. As we build family in our own in perfect ways sometimes, God wants to build in his way. Jesus, we surrender to you. Father, we come before you now. I pray for people here with stories of pain maybe even and disappointment with leadership, maybe even this leadership. And I ask God, would you allow us to go on journeys of healing, forgiveness, so we can walk into freedom, so we can all step into more. We celebrate what you are doing with the Chirimiris and the Lynns and the Brett and Brent and Shelley Andersons, Lord. We celebrate what you're doing. But we take and we say, thank you, God, that you are leading us into the more. Have all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor, King Jesus.